All right, well, amen. My name's Kyle. Welcome to Two Cities Church. If, uh, if you're new and you stumbled in here and it's your first time, welcome. We always have new guests. Uh, it's a great time to be new because we're in this kind of very interesting series we're calling the Song of Solomon. Yes, we're going to be talking about sex and dating and relationships and marriage and manhood and womanhood and singleness. And anyway, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but the video you just saw, it's called the Acts 1-8 Project. Some of you have been in church for a while. You go, I know that verse. Acts 1 verse 8, it's about local, national, global missions, exactly. Here's the ask college students, or here's the ask person who's connected to a college student. Maybe you're the mom or the dad, or the, you know, you've got a nephew, you've got a niece, you know what I'm saying? Here's the ask, uh, would you spend your summer growing spiritually? That's it. That's what the Acts 1-8 product's about. I know that's like a novel idea for a college student. Uh, college students like, they want to grow financially. Well, great. And they want to grow academically. Well, cool. And they want to grow athletically. Great. And they want to grow relationally. Awesome. But would you consider, what would it look like to give the summer to growing spiritually? Like this Acts 1-8 project, we've been planning it for a long time. Okay, Spencer Martin's on our staff full time to lead this thing. And it is going to be a spiritual greenhouse. It's going to be a discipleship microwave. As I look at that and watch that video, I'm like, why didn't this exist when I was in college? To spend uh, some time in a healthy local church, investing in our city, to help national church plants, uh, to go globally overseas. And, and so here's our ask for, for every college student. Would you pray about this opportunity, not just think about it, right? Because think about it, that's one thing. Pray about it is to invite God into that conversation and say, hey, what would it be like? There's many good options. What would it look like for me to give my summer to growing spiritually? Uh, that may be for Wake Forest students and others who are here. That might be for, for college students who are moving back here for the summer. I want to take a moment, pray for our college students. God has blessed us in being a multi-generational church. And part of that is we have a lot of college students. I want to pray for them as they make a lot of decisions. And then we're going to dive into Song of Solomon. Let's pray. Lord, we lift up our college students, those roughly 18 to 22 years old, who are in a unique season and stage of life, who have more discretionary time than they ever will again in their whole lives. We pray for them, whether they go to Acts 1-8 Project or not. We, we actually, our ask is that they would give their strength and they would give their youth, not to the things and value system of this world, but to the things of God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, type two, turn two, swipe two, scroll two, uh, find Song of Solomon. We're only gonna be in five verses. I'm gonna make it easy for us, okay? Chapter one, verses two through seven. I'll meet you there in a little bit. We're in this series, Song of Solomon. Why are we doing this, Okay. If you're new and you don't know this, this is an eight-week series. That's two months talking about the most sensitive topics, okay? So we've talked about like, what is a man? And we, we talked about that. And then we talked about singleness and attraction and dating. It's like, we're, how do we talk about it? Okay, the, now today, pray for me, okay? Uh, we're talking about womanhood. And then uh, next week, it's gonna be about marriage. And this is your last warning. In two weeks, it's a whole sermon on sex. I mean, do you wanna stand up here for an hour and talk about sex? <laughs> If you do, you're probably not rightly oriented in the world. My mom's probably going to watch this message. I'm not looking forward to it, okay? But we, it comes up in chapter four, and we're going to talk about it, okay? Why are we doing it? There's lots of books we, right, that we can talk about. A couple convictions. We believe it takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. Yes, you need the book of Proverbs. Yes, you need the book of Romans. Yes, you need the book of Genesis. It takes the whole Bible to make the whole Christian. That's a deep conviction. Also, and you know this, the major pastoral concerns... And the major cultural concerns and topics of the day are all sexual in nature. Now, look, I know people struggle with lots of different things. But when someone comes to me and they say, I have an addiction problem. Now, now they could mean multiple things, but I know what they normally mean. Something with sexual addiction. Usually. When someone says, I need to talk to you about something that's happened in my past 
it's usually sexual in nature. Something with a boyfriend, something with a girlfriend, something that happened in college, okay? When, when, when married couples, okay, and by the way, we are pro-counseling. Let me just destigmatize for a moment counseling. We're pro-counseling. We send lots of people to counseling. We think counseling's a good thing, okay? But all the time when married couples come to us and they say we need counseling, they don't normally mean we need help with our kids, although they do need help with our, we all need help with our kids, okay? That's not what they mean. They normally mean our marriage is falling apart or it's not where it needs to be. And so we're like, oh, that's it. The, we, the value of our, of our church is to dive into these areas, not to avoid them, not to, go, uh, not to ignore them, but to go head on after them, right? So part of the problem is this book, Song of Solomon, has been ignored. For, for hundreds of years, it wasn't preached on. Or it was just preached on like, it's the story of Christ's love for the church or God's love for Israel. Then it's weird. This is the weirdest Jesus loves the church song I've ever sung or read. Okay, so, so here's the thing, we, but it's also the top cultural issues. And I don't know where each of you work and what each of you do, but many of you, you work for some large organization or it doesn't even matter, small organization, and you know it's a top cultural issue because you unfortunately had to go through diversity training. And it made, you, if you're, it made you feel weak and it made you feel sick and they said things like ziz, zim, zer. And you're like, what, what is going on? If you don't know this, this isn't even a political statement. It, just so you know, every major Supreme Court case that matters right now has to do with this. Religious liberty versus sexual liberty. That's it. That's all of them. Religious liberty. What is my first freedom? Can I believe what I want to believe? Or is erotic and sexual liberty more important? What I feel, what I do with my body, I need you to affirm, approve, celebrate it, and, and it's more important than what you believe. So this is a huge issue. Now also, we need this series, right? Like you need this series, your family needs this series, your kids need this series, your marriage needs this series. I, I had a couple people come up to me, they said, listen, we're gonna need this building. Because in about nine months, we're gonna be having a lot of babies in the church, okay? <laughs> September, October, 2022, we need it. We're already preparing a larger nursery, okay, on the other side of this series. Uh, but you know this too, like if it's not good at home, this is, and every married guy and gal knows this, if it's not good at home, it's not good anywhere. It's like, well, your golf game's good, doesn't matter. Well, you travel, it doesn't matter. Well, you got a bonus, it doesn't matter. Have you ever been like in it? Right? When your marriage isn't going good, it's, it's like you're walking through water. It's like you have a headache all the time. And some people's marriage isn't good for years. Okay, and some, there are seasons you just get through, but we wanna help. And so what we're here to do is, and, and by the way, uh, we've talked about all of these different issues, right? So, so I'm talking today to women. Now listen, full disclosure, I want you to know this. I've never been a woman, okay? <laughs> right? Now, there was a season of my life where I was a man trapped in a woman's body. It lasted nine months, okay, at the beginning of my life, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, are you, are you joking about that? <laughs> I, I, I've gone back and forth on whether to tell that joke or not. And, and <laughs> but the reason that I decided to go with it is because it's actually a cultural thing in our church. I want you to take God's word seriously we don't wanna take ourselves really seriously, okay? Uh, basically, what I'm doing up here, speaking to women all day today, that's what, this is a sermon mostly for women, but we shall be listening, is I realize I'm like a Catholic priest doing marriage counseling, okay? I'm like a vegan telling someone how to eat steak, okay? So, um, but that's because what our authority is not, we live, in a, we live in this weird society where everyone's like, my authority is my experience. It's like, I, well, I care about your experience, okay? But as Christians, and I know not everyone here is a Christian, so if you're not a Christian, welcome. We're just gonna tell you the Christian perspective today from the Bible. Uh, we believe that experience is great, 
But our first and our foundational and our fundamental authority isn't our experience, although it's great. We love our five senses, uh, but it's scripture. And so we are, we are in a very, very confused culture right now about what is sex and what is gender. If you don't know this, people are trying to break them apart. Okay, let me just help us all for a second. People are saying sex is what your body is and gender is what your brain tells you. Now, does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Of course, it doesn't make sense. Um, it, sex is how my body's formed. Gender is how I feel. So gender, we, they talk about a gender, um, gen, terms, I've taught on biblical manhood and womanhood for 15 years. I'm just now having to talk about things like gender fluidity, okay, in queer theory. The, gender, the gender's on some spectrum. It doesn't really matter. You can become whatever you are. Let me tell you what queer theory is. Queer theory is trying to make mental illness sound academic. I just explained all of queer theory. Queer theory exists to make mental illness sound academic. I was in Nashville with my family not that long ago. We're in the bathroom, my, me and my two boys, and uh, this man with like a fanny pack and like hair and like dressed up like a woman walks into the bathroom. And both of my boys just look at me. Dad, what's, I mean, they're, they're innocent. They're five and seven. Dad, what's going on? And so I have to go and I have to take them out and I have to explain to a five-year-old and a seven-year-old what mental illness is and how people's brains can be broken and how people can be confused about the most fundamental thing about them. In the beginning, God made them male and female. It's the, in his own image. It's like we're told two things. That's it about you. You're made in God's image and you're male and female. That's about as foundational and fundamental. This is why I've told you this before. When you stop believing in Christianity, you don't start believing in something else. You start, or start believing in nothing. You start believing in everything. Okay, so I'm going to try to talk to the women today. Here's the big idea about manhood and womanhood. Men and women are more the same than different, but we are different. Everyone who has sons and daughters knows this. Every married person knows this, okay? Every brother with his sister and sister with her brother knows this. Very simple, men and women are more, this, more the same than different, but we are different. Here's how we know we're more the same. Look at what we're doing. Like everybody's, you know, we got guys and gals in here and you can all understand what I'm saying and we're all able to take notes and we're all able to live together. But we are more, we are more the same than different, but we are different. The Bible knows we're different. The Bible addresses us differently. Sons are addressed differently than daughters. Fathers are addressed differently than mothers. Husbands are addressed differently uh, than wives. Brothers are addressed differently than sisters. This is different. Now, here's how we know this. We know it from scripture, but some of you are skeptical and that's okay. Some of you are skeptical and go, the Bible's an old book. Well, the Bible's an eternal book, but okay, fine. The Bible's an old book. Uh, so you would say, that, okay, well, how do we know? Well, here's how we know that, that men and women are you know, more the same than different, but that they're different. Uh, in Sweden, which is like super egalitarian, that means they've set everything up to treat men and women the exact same. And here's what they thought. They said, we're gonna do this. They literally thought this. They said, we're gonna set up all men and women equal and it's gonna be awesome because basically what's going to happen when we do that is 50% of the women will go into nursing and then 50% of the men will. And 50% of the, because that's usually a woman dominated field. And 50% of, uh, of uh, the men will go into engineering and 50% of the women will. And that's normally a male dominated field. And so they, they made the society egalitarian. They sent all these sociologists and all these psychologists to study it. And what they found was exactly what they didn't want to find, which is the more egalitarian a society, the more egalitarian you make a society, the more different the men and women become. When you give men and women 
more and more free choices, they tend to make actually more different decisions than each other. It's like every sociologist was pulling their hair out. It's like, we did not want to discover this. We thought men and women were all the same and there's no difference at all. This is terrible. That's, what they're, that's basically what happened, which is how you know it's a true study. That's the, the results were not what they wanted. Okay, all of that to say, that was all introduction. We're in verse, <laughs> verse two of chapter one. We're gonna look at five things about women. Five things about women with our time. This is great because it's the 11 o'clock service, so I don't have a service afterwards, so I can go a little bit longer. So I hope you, pa- I hope you pack the snack, grab a bottle of water, there's a bathroom out there. Okay, uh, chapter, <laughs> um, let me say this. Uh, let me, one last thing about women. It's very difficult in our society today, because we're gonna read what a woman is. It's very difficult in our society today to be a woman and, and know who you are as a woman. Is it more difficult than being a guy? I don't know. Let's not play that game. But it, it, it's difficult, okay? I read a book by Michael Campbell. It's called Guyland. It's rated TVMA. I've read it twice. It's TVMA, but if you want to read it, it's very interesting. He's a Jewish guy out of New York, and he studied the college campus for four years. And the college campus is a good picture of at least what probably the future of America will be. He said, on the college campus, women have three options. Number one option, they can be a bro. They wear sweatpants. They wear sweatshirts. They drink light beer. They love sports. They're a bro. In fact, what they showed you over time is that on the college campus, women dress more and more like men during the day. They don't at night. Uh, (laughs) Which, second option is if you're not a bro, you're a babe. And a babe is you're hot, and a babe is you're available, and a babe is you show up at all the fraternity parties. And some, some women will be a bro during the day and a babe during the night. And then he said, if you're not a bro and you're not a babe, you're a different B word that I'm not allowed to say from the stage. But that's how a lot of women feel sometimes. They feel like, where do I fit in? Because if I'm aggressive or assertive in even healthy ways, I might get called that word I don't want to get called. But I don't want to just be a commodity. But often, I mean, I have an Instagram account, I have a TikTok account. I mean, I feel like a commodity. Like, I don't know if you saw what happened with Madonna. So Madonna turned 63. Listen, my mom is 63, okay? So Madonna turned 63. I wasn't looking for this on Instagram or no, maybe it was on Twitter. Uh, I saw someone retweeted a picture of Madonna at 63. She's dressed all scantily and sexually, laying on a bed at 63. And I saw her, and I don't, of course, obviously, I don't know Madonna, but I, I, I thought, I feel so bad for you. This is the saddest thing I've ever seen. This is a 63-year-old woman who, I, who is still trying to be defined by her body, but she's old. <laughs> Let's, we're just being honest. She's old. Time and gravity. I mean, yes, she has lots of money. Yes, she did Botox, but it's like, it's sad. When a 23-year-old does that, you're like, it's sad, and we kind of, we see that it's sad, okay? And it's all over Instagram, and it's sad. And, um, and, but when a 63-year-old woman, you go, she's still defined by her body, still. This is going to be very, and I don't think she's very happy. So what do we do? We're gonna look to scripture with five things. First, a woman and her words, a woman and her words. If you look at me at verses two through four. Here's what it says. The woman speaks first, she speaks most. I've told you that before. Here's what she says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Uh, So why are we talking about the words? Well, words first, because the woman starts speaking first, okay? And the woman says a lot of words. But here's the biblical kind of heart issue. Jesus says, out of the overflow of your mouth or out of the overflow of your heart, in other words, your mouth speaks, okay? So a woman's words tell us her heart, and this is amazing. She's not manipulating the guy with her words. She's not criticizing and critiquing him with the words. She's speaking life, 
She's speaking compliments. She's speaking encouragement to him. Now, here, here's what this means, ladies. Okay, I'm going to try to get super practical for y'all today. You will be the lid or the launch pad for your husband. As soon as I say that, some of you go, I don't like that. Kyle, don't put that much responsibility on me. Okay, fine. You're not the only lid, obviously. You're not the only launch pad. And some of you go, though, that, that's creative language, Kyle, but give me a verse. Okay, fine. Okay, Proverbs. In Proverbs, it says, a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically exactly what it says. A good wife is a crown to her husband, and a bad wife is rottenness in his bones. What is rottenness in your bones? Translation, 2022, cancer. So here, here's a verse. Do you want to be cancer, or do you want to be a crown for your husband? That's your option. It's like, well, you would like your life to matter. Okay, I just made your life matter. I just made your marriage matter. It matters. And we've all seen this. I'm not going to give examples from our church, okay? But we've all seen, here's what happens. We've all seen guys, okay? I've seen this. A guy marries crazy. I know we're not supposed to say that out loud. But you guys all know what I'm talking about. Like, we, you warned him, right? I warned him. His, girl, his mom warned him. But she was like so hot. He couldn't say, he said, oh, no, she's crazy. Okay, but, well, he married her anyway, okay? And so he's got to keep his covenantal vows and all that. That's good. So, but he's married her. We've seen this. And then she destroys him. And she, it takes her 20 or 30 years. She does it really slowly. But, oh, it's so painful to watch. You've seen guys like this. They're like a shadow and a shell of who they used to be. And they keep wanting to leave. That's a, that's a good, they keep wanting to leave. Honey, I need to, I'm going on another guy's trip. Guys, I'm going on vacation again. I'm staying late at work. It's, it's what the Bible talks about. It's better to live on, on, a, on the rooftop uh, of your house than with a quarrelsome wife. Listen, they threw the animal poop on the rooftop. It's better, to, and that would be bearing the elements of the day. It's better to bear the elements of the day and smell the stinky poop of animals than to live with a quarrelsome wife. But then, so that's a counter vision. But ladies, let me encourage you. Every once in a while you meet a guy and he is, let's just be honest, he's below average. But somehow, and we all don't know how this happens, he gets this great wife. And we're all like, how does that, you tricked her. I mean, I don't know how, you only, you only have to trick one woman once, that's it, but you did it. You tricked one woman one time. And, and, and this guy's very, 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 very average, maybe below average. And he doesn't have a lot that's that respectable about him. It's, but his wife finds out, so like, she's, she's godly. She's like, well, there's very little to respect about you, but I'll find what there is. There's very, there's very little that you're doing well, but whatever you're doing well, I'll tell you that you're doing well, and you'll do more of that. And then, and then that'll grow, and you'll do more of lots of different things. And then I'll, you meet a guy. I've met guys like this. I went to college with guys like this, and somehow they trick someone. You meet them like 12 years later, like, whoa, you, you're making a lot of money. You have a vision for your life. You're leading in your church. It's like, what happened? I married her. You know, that's... that's <laughs> That's right. So, so in, in, again, ladies, no nagging. You've, I'm not going to get a lot into this because you've heard that, okay? You're like, don't say that to me. Oh, well, I'm sorry. It's what the Bible says. No, no nagging, okay? And, and, and here's what nagging is. This is helpful. Na so a woman is called in the Bible, in Genesis, a helper. It's not a demeaning term. The Holy Spirit is called helper, okay? Nothing gets done in the church apart from the Holy Spirit, right? Nothing gets done in the world apart from a woman, amen? <laughs> so it's not a demeaning term. But I think what happens in nagging is a woman thinks she's helping, but she's only hurting. Okay? And no woman ever thinks she's nagging. She's like, I'm just opinionated. I'm just Italian. <laughs> I'm from the north. It's like, no, you're nagging. That's what you're doing. And guys, if your wife is nagging, here's what nagging means. Nagging means we need to have a conversation. That's what nagging means. 
Because what happens with most guys, ladies, just so you know, you tell us stuff and then we're just like, we don't wanna, we don't wanna fight with you about this. And you think something's wrong and we don't really think it's wrong. And so we say we're sorry when we're not sorry. And that's wrong on us. And so what you need to do is you actually just go, let's have a conversation about this. And when I say this to the guy, like, oh no, she's gonna cry and we're gonna be up till three in the morning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that will happen. But wouldn't you rather like, let's, let's cry and be up till three in the morning for like a week. Okay, wouldn't that be better than she nags you for seven years and therefore she disrespects you? And, and, all right, and then ladies, you don't wanna speak negatively about your husband to other women, which is a great temptation and, and cover it in a prayer request, okay? Um, this is a great temptation. Now this, ha ha ha, gotcha, okay. Um, what, here's what this means. This it just, it doesn't mean, but I wanna be, I'm always speaking to like, you know, every, I, I don't, can't speak to every situation every time, I'm trying. That doesn't mean that if your marriage is really hard or you have some major problems, it doesn't mean you don't tell anyone. We believe here in the difference between secrecy and privacy. Secrecy is nobody knows, that's not healthy. Privacy is one or two of my female friends or, or guy friends if you're a guy, no. But I love them, I trust them. They're gonna walk with us through this process. They're gonna be committed all the way through this, okay? Now here's the heart behind all this. This is what's so important. The heart behind all this, and I wanna speak directly to women. Part of the reason you struggle to say great things about guys in general or you struggle to say great things about your boyfriend, or you struggle to say great things about your husband, is because you're believing two cultural lies. And I'm just gonna, I just want you to know these are lies. Here's the, here's the number, let me give you the two cultural lies. Men are the problem! That's it, men are the problem. Do you understand this? In fact, let me tell you 2,000 years of history. Here's 2,000, let me, let me tell you the history of our nation. Men are the problem! No, too simple. Sin is the problem. Uh, men can act very sinfully and women can act very sinfully. Okay, how are you going to be able to love, respect, encourage somebody when you think they're the problem? They're not. Okay, sin's the problem. Second lie women believe, and this one's very common in the church, especially if you're trying to be a good Christian wife, whatever that means for you. Men have it easier. Men have it better. It's like, do you want to play that game? You do not want to play that game. You wanna play that game for every, let's, it would take me 20 minutes to play that game for every season and stage of life that you're gonna be in. You wanna play the game with your husband for 40 years of who's suffering more. Couples play that game. Oh no, 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 you don't get to do that because of this. Oh no, no, you don't get to do that because of this. It's like, we're gonna play this game for 40 years? Let me tell you the Christian perspective, the biblical perspective. Men and women are living in a Genesis 3 cursed world. I probably need to go back and reteach Genesis sometime because it's so foundational, but Genesis 3, basically, when they sin, two things get cursed. The marketplace and the home, okay? Historically, it's changing some. Historically, men have worked in the marketplace, women have worked in the home, and there's been this battle. It's harder to be in the home! No, 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 it's harder to be in the marketplace! It's like, no, 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 they're both cursed. They both work against you. Every guy who's, or girl who's trying to get promoted and work, it's hard. Everything they're trying to build breaks. That's the curse. The curse is so you turn to God. Okay, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to build a family. You're trying to get pregnant. You're trying to stay pregnant. You're trying to raise kids. You're trying to discipline them. You're trying to walk through the teenage years. You're trying to pay for college. It's cursed. So here's our perspective here. Like there's so much, you know, there's so much tension in our nation. Democrat, Republican, black, white. We're not playing the game of men versus women in battle of the sexes. 
men and women, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters are both under a curse. And we have been working together for thousands of years. That's, that's the story of history. And sin has infected and affected, and at different times it looked like men this and women that, okay? We are both under a curse working together. Okay, that's a woman in her words. I said, I hope you packed a snack. Okay, a woman, and, a woman and her friends. Okay, look at this. Verse four, a woman and her friends. We will, this is verse four. Uh, th- these are her bridesmaids singing to her. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Okay, every woman needs friends, right? Every guy needs friends, but guys don't listen. The average guy over 30 has one, less than one close friend. I didn't say he doesn't have drinking buddies and golfing buddies and business partners. He has all those. Um, he, he doesn't have friends, okay? Now, what these are, these are the bridesmaids. Most likely they're single, and they're celebrating that they're friends in an engagement relationship that's gonna lead to marriage. Wow. See, women need, women need other women in their lives who will rejoice with them when things are going well in that woman's life, even if things aren't going well in your life. And that is particularly hard for women in a unique way. It's hard for all of us. It's particularly hard for women. Now, let me explain this. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, listen, it's easier, way easier to weep with someone who's weeping. Someone says, I'm infertile. You go and you weep with them. And then guess what you do? You go back to your kids. Someone says, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm still single. And you cry with and you pray and you go back to your husband. It's much harder, way harder, takes way more spiritual maturity for someone to rejoice with those who need to be rejoiced with even when things aren't going well for them. Okay, this is what's so hard with women. It's like, okay, can you rejoice with the mom who's already got three kids and she's now pregnant with twins? And you can't get pregnant and you can't stay pregnant. Are you able to still rejoice with her? Are you able to rejoice with your friend who just got engaged? even though she's seven years younger than you and you have zero prospects and she's gonna ask you to be a bridesmaid so you're gonna have to use vacation days and spend money and this is like your, this is like your 15th wedding and you hate all your bridesmaids dresses, okay? <laughs> We're just getting real here, okay? Uh, how about this? You, you can, and this is what's hard because we're gonna talk a lot about social media because it deeply affects women more than men, is um, you, you see all of your friends celebrating the great things about their lives on Facebook and Instagram. So you're like, they got, they got like, they live in a real nice home and we still live in a starter home. I don't wanna live in a starter home forever. I feel the pressures of it because I'm at home all day and we're still in a starter home. But she married someone who makes a lot more money and they live in one of those nice neighborhoods that has gates and stuff like that. Or when you watch people celebrate their kids, schools they got into, academic achievements, and your kids, it's not your fault, you know? but they're not excelling in the same way, and it's just hard. This is why what women do here, so here's, that's, that's, the vision would be to rejoice with those who rejoice, okay? What women do is they are horrible to each other. Women can be the worst to each other. Just so you know, from a guy's perspective, when I see one woman being like, you know, evil and mean to another woman, and when I see two women fighting, I find the nearest table and I crawl under it, okay? <laughs> if you've ever seen two women, woo. Uh, it, makes, it makes us guys feel unbelievably uncomfortable. Okay, so what it's called is mean girls, right? So think about mean girls. This is good to know. It, when, when something becomes a cultural phenomenon, it's because it's touching truth, okay? So mean girls 
becomes an unbelievably kind of iconic movie that becomes a Broadway play. Well, you might want to go, why? Because it's true. Because women can be unbelievably mean to each other, and they do it two ways. This has all been studied. This has all been proved. The data's in. Women are mean to each other in two main ways, reputation, destruction, and exclusion. And you'll, some of you women, you think you're so nice. You hide it from yourself that you're even doing it. We're not doing it. Yeah, maybe. Um, um, and so repu- here's why this is a big deal, because reputation, destruction, plus social media, or probably X times social media, makes a big deal. So reputation destruction used to be, darn it, I can't sit at the, you know, the, the lunch table at middle school because that one girl's real mean to me and she told me we can't sit there. Well, okay, well, it's lunch. And then you go home. But the problem with reputation destruction in social media is like, it just follows you. Even if you don't have social media, it follows you because she has social media who's trying to destroy your reputation. Or there's exclusion. And exclusion is you weren't invited, okay? And exclusion is, hey, girls, come on. We're all at the winery. Let's take a big picture, and uh, we're all all out tonight. Let's take a big picture, and Sally will probably see it. She wasn't invited, you know. And and so what they're seeing is women are, this is going to kind of get into our next point, uh, because of all of this, because women are so terrible often to other women, it affects their self-image. It affects how they view themselves, okay? Let's look at this. Look at me at, um, so if you're following, it's it's a woman and her words, a a woman and the women in her life, and now a woman and her self-worth or her self-image. Okay, how does she value herself? Look at me at verses five and six. Here's what it says. I am very dark. She's basically saying I'm tanned. I'm very dark, but I'm lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked on me. Now, we, we listen to this and we're like, so you're saying you're tanned? What's wrong with that? Some of you are like, I go to Myrtle Booth all the time. Some of you are like, when is March or April coming so I can be super tan, right? Some of you, this is your whole life. You're like, I want to go, when are we traveling again so we can get the sun so I can get tan, okay? Now, here's what you have to understand. By the way, this is a reminder that what's cool and what's pretty, I didn't say what's beautiful, what's cool and what's pretty and what's fashionable and what's attractive changes culture by culture generation by generation. So back then, for various reasons, being fair and frumpy was really attractive. I'm hoping for my sake it comes back, okay? Because that would be very attractive, okay? <laughs> fair and frumpy was really all, was in back then, okay? Now it's tiny and thin and tan and all that kind of stuff. And so she basically, she has this terrible self-image of herself. And you may go, okay, well, why? And, and, and this is hard for me to talk about. Like, we're stepping, when we talk about a woman and how she views herself, especially her body, we're like on holy ground. And I understand that, okay? Guys, you can completely pick on. Like if I, some of you ladies may not understand this, but you could say to a guy who's married, you could say, how did an overweight, goofy guy like you get a girl like her? And he'd go, I am kind of overweight, aren't I? You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's awesome, you know? Uh, so, I mean, a, a, a guy, if you... <laughs> it's just how it works. You could say... Now, could you imagine going to some lady, now, how did someone like... Now, why are you crying? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I thought through this. I can't even give an illustration, okay? It's so sensitive. Women, ha- okay, so now we, we're trying to figure out, now why does, she, why does she seem to have, no, we don't, again, we're trying to read between the lines a little bit here. We're tr- assuming a couple things. Why does she have such an insecure view of herself? Well, look, at, look let's, let's look at the next verse. Uh, verse six, my mother's sons. That's interesting. So why don't you call them your brothers? 
Your mother's sons? That's language of distance. That's language of lack of relationship. I don't have a good relationship with my brothers. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I've not kept. So here's what we, don't, we know. She doesn't have a good relationship with her brothers. That's clear in how she talks about them. There's no dad. Now, there's different roles. Again, I know I'm being a little stereotypical. Okay? There's freedom and flexibility in some of these things, but I'm telling you how this generally works. What a mom does is a mom passes on to her daughter a self-image, okay? I was t- I've talked to women about this. Like, if mom always thought, like, I need to lose a ton of weight, I'm looking old, I need to, you know, whatever it is, then oh, I need to eat this, I need to, if it's always about that, that's passed on to the women in the family. It's just by watching. Just, it's, it's, a, it's a discipleship issue is what it really is, okay? But what a woman basically says, two, two sons and daughters, okay, is basically, I love you, this is, I'm, t- I'm trying to show you how the woman has a broken home, and a broken home can make somebody very insecure, okay? Whenever I meet, like, a very secure guy or girl, I would do this for years. I'd be on the college campus, I'd meet someone like, whoa, you're confident. Like, not arrogant, but whoa, you're put together. You're, of course, great mom, great dad. It's like every time, of course. Because it's hard to raise someone like that, because there's lots of things that happen in your life that make you insecure. So what a mom basically does, I'm generalizing, but this is basically what a mom does. Hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I care for you. You've always got a place in our home. If you need to come back for a week after college, okay? That's whatever. That's what, that's what a, yeah, a week, okay? That's what, <laughs> that's what a mom does. But a dad says this, uniquely, not that a mom can't say this, but a dad uniquely says this, I believe in you. Get out there, okay? I'm already having this conversation with my five-year-old. We've got 13 <laughs> years left. Get out of here, okay? So, but if you don't have both of those, you'll be insecure. Now, what happens is we're going to see this, that the woman across the pages, you can read this, go read all eight chapters. As, as by chapter two, she's already talking to herself as if she's a flower, which is a beautiful language of herself. So she says, don't look at me. And then chapter two, she says, uh, I'm like a flower, like a beautiful flower. What happens? In between, her fiance begins to speak life into her and tells her how beautiful she is. This is what we talk about in the series, that men uniquely toward women have what's called an efficacious love. A love that makes them more lovely and a love that lets them see themselves as lovely. And so what happens is women see themselves, not only, okay, maybe not even primarily, but in large part, women see themselves through the eyes of the men in their lives. So this is why women are doing lots of terrible things to themselves, okay? Let me give you two examples because of body image stuff. By the way, they did a study with 13-year-olds. They were talking to these 13-year-old girls. They said, how many of you, you know, don't like your body? 50% said no, they don't like their body. They came back at 17 years old. They thought, well, that was puberty, and that's middle school, and, you know, maybe, I think it was, I believe it was the same girls. They went back at age 17, 80% of the girls didn't like their body. Whoa. What's happening? Well, some of you, here's the application that you needed to hear for this, whole, for this today, women. And this is not law. This is, this is wisdom. Some of you need to have a completely new relationship with social media immediately. Some of you don't need to be on social media for a long time, okay? Because comparison is the thief of joy. Here's what you need to know. The average supermodel is, or let me say it this way, the average healthy American woman weighs 40 pounds more than the average supermodel. The average healthy American woman is seven inches smaller than the average supermodel. We have a completely unrealistic view. So here's what happens. This is why we're taking a lot of time on this today. Because women do a couple, women, because of 
being excluded because of image stuff, because of comparison, um, because of reputation, destruction, all of that, women cut themselves, okay? I don't fully understand this, but I read about it a lot this week, okay? Women cut themselves. We know this is increasing. How do we know this is increasing? You can actually objectively study this stuff because you can study the amount of teenage girls admitted to hospitals for cutting. So that's not everybody who cuts, but that's everybody who cuts who goes to the hospital. It's increased by 70% in the last decade, okay? What is transgenderism, okay? Listen, I'm trying to speak with this with compassion but clarity, okay? Here's a transgenderism. Transgenderism is basically women being mean to women <laughs> in a lot of ways. And tell, here's, here's, let me explain what happens with transgenderism. Okay, let me take a step back. When you go through puberty as a girl, okay, what you feel, and the guys feel this too, but when you go through puberty as a girl, you feel ugly and you feel awkward and you feel out of place. Okay, and so what happens is transgenderism basically says, well, maybe you're, this is what, this is what the transgender agenda is. This is a, it is an agenda. It says, well, here, let me tell you why you feel ugly. It's not you're just like every other 12 to 14-year-old girl who's ever lived and going through puberty, and this is just part of it. Let me tell you why you feel ugly. You're actually a guy. You would actually feel the problem is you just, you need, literally, this is what they do. Sorry, this is a little graphic. You need to have top surgery. That means remove your breasts. And you need to start taking testosterone. The sooner the better that you do both of those things. And what's happening is this is spreading, and it's mostly spreading by women encouraging women to do these terrible things themselves. Okay, it's a, it's a form of body mutilation, that's what it is. So here's why we're talking about this, is because it's what's called a peer contagion. It's all connected, so we talk about a woman and her friends, okay? Let's talk about this for a second. It's transgenderism is the anorexia of this generation. We know this, how do we know this? Um, anorexia didn't exist for a long time. I mean, think about it, right? For most of human history, all of our ancestors are like, if there's food, we're eating it. I mean, it just makes sense, right? It, and I'm not making fun of it. Anorexia is, is, is an issue still, and I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying the idea that we would have food and not eat it is a new idea in human history, okay? It's new. And it shows up, if you look at the data, it shows up like out of nowhere. It's like no, nobody struggles with it, nobody struggles with it. Everybody 13 to 25 struggles with this. Well, guess what? Read the data on transgenderism. Very, 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 very small amount of people, actually historically more men, have struggled with transgenderism. And then all of a sudden, in the last decade, everybody's struggling with it. Why? It's a peer contagion. Listen, this is helpful to understand this. Things spread, peer contagions spread among women very quickly because women take on the pains and problems and pressures of their friends. Is this all making sense? Oh, well, you're struggling with this. Maybe I'm struggling with this. You're going through this. I'm not going to let you go through this alone. We're going to go through this together. I'm going to do it too. This is why it's so important to tell every, every Christian you have two dads. I don't mean that in some postmodern way. <laughs> what I mean by that is you have a heavenly father and you have a earthly father. And the way that we get our identity, everybody comes from broken homes to some level. Everybody comes from dysfunctional families. We need to see ourselves through God's eyes as our father and through Jesus Christ's eyes as our older brother. That's what transforms and changes us, which leads to the next thing. She, she talks about her work ethic. Look at me briefly at her work ethic. Uh, here's what it says. My mother's, picking up right where we were, my mother's sons were angry with me. Uh, they made me keeper of the vineyard. So she's like, I'm, basically I'm a blue collar worker. That's why I'm so tan. I work outside all day in the vineyards. This is important though to understand ladies because it's a unique word to ladies. Let me read it. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but, but listen, working a lot. This is true for men and women, but usually even more so for women. Working all the time comes at great cost to the rest of your life. Look at this. It's beautiful how she says this. 
They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. That's her, her life. Listen, we, we live, it's, it's always complex. I've been talking about this for five years, women in the workforce and all that. And I, I, I'm not here to draw lines and say this must and this can't. I, I, but it's interesting. When I used to talk about this, I used to get nervous a little bit. Because it's such a sensitive topic for women. Multiple reasons that we can't even get fully get into. Um, but the more and more I see it, the more, here, here's, here's, what, here's what I can say principally that we all need to understand, particularly the women need to understand this, that at every season and every stage of your life, you need to reevaluate what does it look like to take care of the vineyard and your vineyard? What does it look like for you to be in the workplace but also take care of whatever else personally God has for you? And here's what happens, okay? This is, I've seen this again and again and again. And you can do whatever you want. You can work as much as you want. This is not a you can't work, you gotta come home, you gotta whatever. It's not that. I'm actually gonna tell you what happens because I've seen this. I've seen this with the research. I've seen this personally. At a, from when, a woman, from, you know, when a woman's like you know, 17, 18, 19, it's all career. It's like, great. You know, and actually, they really excel. They do law school and they do medical school and better than the guys. Um, and then about 30 years old, um, it, it, full-time, like working 50, 60, 70 hours a week women, they normally have this realization, I don't know if this is all I want for my life. And, and some decide it is, but most decide it isn't. They basically decide like, okay, I'd like to, a lot of them, and here's part of the issue, just life's not fair, okay? But we all know that, okay? Um, women have a biological clock that men don't have. So it's not fair, but that's just how it is. So here's what that means practically, functionally. A woman has to get her life together more quickly than a guy does. A guy can be like, well, I'll be 45 and I'll marry someone 15 years younger and we'll still have kids. And the woman's like, not an option for me. I have to get everything in, I'm not even gonna name an age because we all get anxious, okay? Name an age. But women feel I need to get everything in my life in order in a certain age period, okay? And so here's how we know this. No major law, no major law firm in the world is able to keep full-time women lawyers in abundance after age 30. Because women are like, I think I want to have, and my parents are getting older. I think I want to have kids. Maybe I'll go to 80% work and I'll be home some and we'll figure all this out. Maybe I want to have a romantic relationship in my life. So again, we're not putting, here's how, here else, what else we know. That the more, so you know, the, females are now dominating the medical field, that's great. What we find out though, what they're showing is the more female doctors that you have in a hospital, follow this, it's very simple. The more female doctors you have in a hospital, the more doctors you need overall. Why? Because most female doctors don't work full time after 30. They figure we've got to figure out. And so here's the, here's the let me just bring it down even one more level. Go back to Genesis three. There are two domains. There is the home and the marketplace. What is the higher value in our society today? The marketplace, right? What, is, what, is, what does the Bible value more? The home. Why don't we value the home as a society because it takes so long to see an economic return? Well, how long will it take me to see an economic return on my investment? 22 years. Well, how about in the marketplace? Well, here's your salary and here's your benefits and here's your 401k. And here, you know, it's a lot easier to see. So we're not putting down laws, we're just saying there has to be every man and every woman needs to reevaluate. And they make a lot of different decisions based on that. Here, here's what you just need to know. Women, you can't do everything. And a woman wants to do everything. You cannot be a stay-at-home mom full-time and a full-time employee. Pick your poison. Select your sacrifice, that's all you get. 
There's lots of options. We're not laying down laws. But often women think they can have it all. You can't. That's a lie. That's why you're depressed. That's why you're anxious. That's why you feel like you're failing at everything all the time. You get to do one thing, select your sacrifice or pick your poison. Which leads to the last thing, how do you view your own self? It's kind of connected to our self-image. It's a woman in her soul. Look at this. Tell me, this is amazing. She sees herself as someone who has a soul. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon, verse seven, for why should I be like one who veils herself? So the, the women back then who were prostitutes would put a veil over their face. She said, basically, because I have a soul, I'm also going to have standards for my life. Because every woman knows this, that she's not just a body, and she doesn't want to be treated just like a body, that she also has a soul. And so here's what this means. that For, for women, it means that, and for, for men too, but particularly for women to understand this, that across your life, what happens is your soul and your body move in different directions across your life. Okay? We, here's a verse. For outwardly we are perishing. That's talking about your external body, okay? For outwardly we are perishing, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What a godly woman does is say, ultimately my soul is more important than my body. Here's a, here's a good litmus test. Do you spend more time taking care of your body in front of a mirror? Or do you take more time, or at least equal time, taking care of your soul in front of the mirror and the map of God's word. So th th this, is, this is to see yourself ultimately as a soul. Because here's what's gonna happen. You know, within 100 years, every, you know this already, everyone in this room is gonna be dead. And what's gonna happen to your body, okay? Oh, the resurrection's gonna come too, that's a whole other sermon. But what's gonna happen to your body is it's gonna be buried, or nowadays it's cool to have it burned and cremated. But it's gonna be buried or burned, okay? And that'll be the end of your body. But that will not be the end of you. You're a soul. Everyone knows there's When I was at Elon University, we put on this massive event. It was the most successful event we ever put on as a uh, college ministry. It was called Sex and the Soul of a Woman. And it was the most attended woman's event, Christian event on the history of the campus because it touched a nerve. I'm more than just a body. And I want to be treated as more than just a body. And the gospel does treat us as more than that. Women, I've not been as hard, you may have felt like I've been hard on you, I've not been as hard on you as I've been on the men. And oftentimes, this is what happens is I preach to the men and then a couple of ladies who know me, they'll come afterwards and they'll go, give it to us next week. It's just like, and it's like, I will, but also I know that women are so hard. Women, you tend to be so hard on yourselves. I want to give you a lot of grace, uh, but a lot of women, as soon as they read their Bible, they want to be Proverbs 31 if they know their Bible, okay? Let me just encourage you, the Proverbs 31 lady is old. <laughs> it takes a lifetime to become the Proverbs 31 lady. We know she's old because her husband's an elder. All, only the old guys were elders. He's at the gate. We know she's old because her, her kids come home and basically thank her for being such a great mom. It's like, look, she's old. She's lived a lot of life. You're going to have different seasons and stages of life that are gonna affect your work, that are gonna affect your family. We're saying, what would it look like for you to speak words of encouragement in life to particularly the men in your life? What would it look like for you to have great relationships with women? We're gonna have an event at the end of February, beginning of March called Table Talk. It's gonna be an opportunity for women uniquely to connect with other women to build those relationships. What would it look like for you to change your self-image to where you really view yourself the way that Christ talks about you? 
Maybe some of you need to make some decisions on social media. What does it look like for you to make decisions in regards to work? And then finally, just, just a brief word to single women. You know, and I, and I didn't get to say this at 9 o'clock service because there's just not enough time in between services. But um, just, I said this last night, and I want to say it again, that you know, I, I, we, love, we love every person, okay, in, in some sense equally. Okay? But, but we have a unique heart here for the single women. And I want you to hear me say, I know a lot of you, every time I give a talk on this, you lovingly give me some email, and it's very respectful, and it's very nice, and it says something like, well, I'm 35 years old, and there's no prospects. What do you want me to do? And we want to say a couple things. Obviously, being single is not a disease. Being single is not an illness. For most people, being single is a stage of their life, but more and more, it's becoming a long, long stage, maybe a permanent stage of people's lives. I've got a friend who's in our community group, and she's the last single girl left. All the other ones moved and had boyfriends and get married, and we just, we just met with this. She, she won't mind me sharing a story. We just met with her as a community group. To talk, we had a whole talk together on singleness and dating. And, you know, we said, hey, we're doing this kind of thing in our group about big, bold prayers. And we said, you know what? And this is the tension we live in, single ladies. We said, you know what? We're going to, our big, bold prayer, all of us this year, is that you get engaged. That's so God brings some godly woman, or not godly woman. God. <laughs> godly man into your life. That's our prayer. And she started crying. And we said, and she also, and we, she knew, and we said, we also can't promise that. And I just want you to, we love the single ladies. There's outside of, I'm baptizing my friend or my son or my daughter, they've come to Christ. And outside of, we're pregnant. The third, my third favorite thing to hear is, I've met a great guy. And so we're going to walk alongside the singles in this. We're not going to, we're not going to idolize marriage but we're also gonna say hope deferred makes the heart sick and we're gonna walk with you guys. And then as a church together, we just need to remember that this woman, she points us ultimately to Christ and the church and their relationship. That this woman, the Shulamite woman that we've read about, what does she start by doing? She starts by asking, she starts by asking the man to lead. What do we do to Christ? We ask him every day, Lord, be my Lord and lead me. What does this woman need to make it long-term what does she need to, to be able to be the woman that she needs to be? She needs community. What does the church need? We need community. And she needs a right self-image that she gets from the gospel. What do we get from the cross of Christ? We get the reality that we are more loved than we could imagine, and we're more broken than we could imagine. Here's the vision for our church. We are a Genesis 3 church. Husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, we are equally living under the curse of Genesis 3, but together as a church, in a divided nation, we want to have a unified church. Together as a church, men and women, we are fulfilling the great commandments and the great commission together. Everything that I teach here today is very offensive to our culture, okay? It's very unpopular, but also staying married is very unpopular today, okay? All of this is very unpopular, okay? And, and whenever I teach on it, it's attacked. But whenever it's lived out, it's attractive. One of our gospel witnesses to the world is single people who are satisfied in Christ, are married people who are living out biblical marriages and raising godly families. Let us be light and salt in our city. Let's pray for that. Lord, I lift up right now just the men and women in our church. And we feel like we, we live under the different burdens of the marketplace and the home. There's something over and more important than both the marketplace and it's the home, and, and more important than the marketplace and the home, and it's the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that together we would be about the kingdom 
as sons and daughters of the king. Lord, I pray where there needs to be forgiveness and reconciliation from women to women or women to men, men to women, that we would see that reconciliation and that together as a church, we would fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. I ask this in Jesus' name.